And then these words, when you look at verse 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, that verse may not, and these verses may not appear to be the most obvious Christmas verses, but I hope you'll see as we look through this, they are. Jesus, uh, or Jesus came into a world and his birth was announced, first of all, to shepherds. Um, he himself is described as the good shepherd, and we are going to look at that and see our need of a shepherd, the irony of the shepherd coming to the shepherds, if you like. Uh, incidentally, Jesus coming to the shepherds, it's also uh, a fascinating thing because you know how when someone's pregnant, you want to tell the important people first. So you tell your mother and your mother-in-law, you tell other people, and then eventually, you know, you let everyone else know. Shepherds in Israel were not important people. It was kind of the job that you took if you couldn't get a job doing anything else. You just didn't want to be a shepherd. If uh, you were a girl and you came home to your mom and you said that you were dad and said that you were dating a shepherd, uh, you'd be in a lot of trouble. They were just, I'm, I'm not sure what the equivalent is today and I'd better not risk saying what it is. But um, it was just, it's not a career option that you went for. And it is quite astonishing that it was announced not to scribes and Pharisees, not to kings, not to uh, doctors, not to business people, but it was announced to these shepherds, this good news. And, and again, it still is, the gospel still is uh, good news for the poor. Let me also say this as another kind of comment in, in terms of thinking about the wonder of it. Uh, there's a poem by John Milton, and I've posted copies of it in, through in the whole um, I just want to read the first verse of it, but the rest of it's wonderful as well. Now, Milton, you either love or hate. I, I love reading John Milton, and I just think he, he gets this perfectly. This is the month, and this the happy morn, wherein the son of heaven's eternal king, of wedded maid and virgin mother born, our great redemption from above did bring. For so the holy sages once did sing, that he our deadly forfeit should release, and with his father work us a perpetual peace. And it's that phrase that Jesus came to work us a perpetual peace that is, uh, kind of underlines a lot of what we look at this morning. Okay, let's pray before we go on to look at God's word then. Lord, this is your word. It is a holy word. It is a word that speaks to us of marvelous and wonderful things. May it be that we are like the shepherds, that we would see and that we would rejoice and believe what the Lord has done. This is marvelous in our eyes. Help us to, to understand and to grasp and to respond to your word. For we ask it in your name. Amen. Okay. Um, I'm going to do something a little bit counterintuitive at one level that you may think doesn't work. Um, we get asked to do a lot of things, you know, and often in the church here where people say, well, there's things that need to be done and we need people to volunteer. And already today, if you listen carefully, you've been asked to pray, asked to give, asked to invite people, asked to welcome people, asked to share. Uh, you, you would expect if you're a Christian to be asked to live for Jesus and so on. And normally 
you would look and a sermon often you think is basically more of the same. What's going to happen is David's going to stand up there and he's going to tell us something. We're going to feel a little bit guilty, feel we ought to go and do more. But a lot of us struggle because we are running on empty. We're shattered. We're exhausted. We, we haven't got the time, life, family, church, balance, work, balance in there, right? Um, we have 101 different stresses. We have financial stresses. We have concerns about our health. We have spiritual concerns. We have all these different things. They're all piling in. And we usually feel exhausted. We're just, just not coping. Uh, and some of us are coping, but that's about it. Um, some people are doing more than coping. They're the ones who kind of bounce in the church door and who are, who are doing fantastic. But there's a, there's a problem for a lot of us. And I think that uh, what we look at this morning is, is a way to help us to deal with that. Not by giving us something else to do, but I hope by receiving. I hope you'll see what I mean in a moment. I'm going to come back to that. But I'm going to ask, first of all, when we talk about Jesus coming into the world, we talk about this baby coming to, being announced to the shepherds, and he becoming a shepherd. He is the good shepherd. Why do we need a shepherd at all? Lots of people really don't like that idea. What does a shepherd do? It looks after sheep. Nobody wants to be a sheep. Um, the kids sometimes sing a song, I want to be a sheep, ba ba ba. We're not going to sing it, thankfully. But it, it's, no, actually, no, nobody wants to be a sheep. Well, I mean, what are sheep? Sheep are pretty stupid animals. Um, they're not intelligent like pigs, and that is actually true. Pigs are really intelligent. But sheep. You know, I did dumb and kind of herd instinct and sheep get lost. And, you know, sheep just, the, the, the idea is that they all kind of follow. Who wants to be a sheep? And in fact, uh, when I debate with atheists and so on, they'll make all kinds of jokes about his pathetic flock and you're just a sheep. Why do we need a shepherd if we don't want to be a sheep? Well, Isaiah 53, which is a prophecy of the death of Jesus Christ, and Christ came into this world to die, tells us that he did so because we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his, all, to his own way. We all, there is a, there is a, a herd instinct. There is a, a, a way, and we see this in culture, we see this in society, we reflect far more than we think the culture that we live in. So, for example, we pretty well know that the Christmas number one will be one of the versions of Hallelujah and probably the X Factor uh, woman. Um, why? Are people individually sitting down and thinking, you know, that's the most beautiful song I've ever heard. I must go and buy it. Or is it not the case that, well, that's a good idea. I'll go and buy this. I'll, I'll go and do this or whatever. I think we, the, the kind of copy mentality, it's not just seen in children, it's not just seen in teenagers, it's seen throughout culture. And we can't just blame other people, we, we're each of us responsible as well. There is individual responsibility. We need a shepherd because there's a rebellion and a fecklessness which is second nature to us. There's a self-will which isolates us from God and from man alike. 
Straying sheep summarize our inadequacies and our errors. We are like sheep. It's not a pleasant picture. Being astray, going astray is not just a being vaguely lost, but it's a picture of being destitute and away from salvation. Psalm 119 verse 176. I've strayed like a lost sheep. Jesus, when he saw the crowds in Matthew 9:36, says this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. What a brilliant description of Dundee City Centre today. They are harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. One man puts it this way. We walk through life solitary, forsaken, miserable, separated from God and the good shepherd and deprived of his pastoral care. The Bible stresses just how much danger we are in. Just how much danger uh, the sheep are without the shepherd. Ezekiel 34 verses 4 to 6. So they were scattered because they had no shepherd. And when they were scattered they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth. And no one searched or looked for them. Again that's the world and that's the culture in which we are. People are confused. People are stressed. People are freaked out by so many different things. People are scattered all over the place. Jeremiah 50 verse 6. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have led them astray and caused them to roam on the mountains. They wandered over mountain and hill and forgot their own resting place. See, it's all very well to say, well, I wandered lonely as a cloud. You know, and I went up in the mountains and wandered around. But the mountains in Palestine... And actually, the mountains in Scotland are dangerous places. In Palestine, you'd be attacked by wild animals. You could be attacked by robbers, bandits, or whatever. You're in enormous danger, the lost sheep. In our country, if you just wander away up in the mountains in the middle of winter, like today, you, you, could, you could find yourself in enormous danger. And here's the sad thing that's been spoken of in Jeremiah is that God's people who were meant to be guided and helped and, and encouraged by the shepherds, that the shepherds all failed. They all got it wrong. And that again is the same. There are the, the leadership in our society and the leadership in, in religion and the leadership in culture and the leadership largely in the church has led people astray. And it's just so devastating. I was at a, a school concert this week and I was sitting there, you know, and you're five minutes into a school concert. Now, school concerts you should really love. I mean, I mean, okay, you don't love them if your kids aren't in them. But if your kids are in them, you know, there's your wee one up and it's just all, and they should be cute and lovely and, and so on. But virtually all the school concerts I've been to recently are so, so boring. Even when your own child is the star of the thing, it's still pretty boring. And I, I tell you why I find them so boring. Because they're so bland. At least the one I was. Maybe you've got a different experience. And I feel sorry for the teachers who, who put a lot of effort and work into it. And I really admire them for what they do. And I feel sorry for the kids as well. Because they also, they love um, singing and all the creativity and everything that's involved with that. But you just know before you go in, you're going to get a whole series of kind of revamped, bland Christmas versions which are along the line of love fills the world. Isn't it great? Let's all love one another. And then 
Santa got stuck up the chimney and Rudolph had a red nose. And, and, but let's all love one another. This is what Christmas is all about. And I was thinking, why is this so, so boring? Why is it so bland? Why is it? And it's just because taking God out of the picture, it's not that it stops being offensive to people. Oh, you can't, can you imagine that? I mean, we always get these crazy stories this time of year. But my favorite this year was the primary school choir that were banned from competing in, in a carol uh, in a carol concert uh, because there was some kind of competition going on because their carols were too religious. You know, it's just, you, at that point, you just start thinking, how mad uh, have we really become? But once you take God out of things, it's not that humans, the creativity within human beings is released because, because this repressive religion has been removed. It's the very opposite happens. You just end up with bland. I think uh, Owen was, I was telling, talking to, about this to Owen when we were meeting beforehand and before we came in. And he says, just describe it as beige. I've never heard anyone pray, Lord, deliver us from being beige. But I, I, you understand exactly that, don't you? You know, in a world where everything is beige, I mean, it's safe. But it's just, I mean, when we've got all this color and everything is beige. It's just, that's the, the culture that we're in. That's the kind of danger that we're in as well, because it's not just that it's a beige and bland culture uh, and a beige and bland world, but it's a dangerous world. We are lost sheep. We need guidance. We need protection. We need forgiveness. We need healing. And that's why Jesus came into the world. And that's why the shepherds rejoiced so much. They lived in an unjust uh, uh, society. They were the lowest of the low in that society, and this great news was announced to them. Mary, again, not exactly the elite. And Joseph, a carpenter. And again, this good news came to them. And the good news wasn't, look, love fills the world. Let's all be nice to one another. Peace on earth, and so on. The good news was the shepherd came, Jesus Christ. So let me say something about this good shepherd, because over against that herd instinct stands Jesus Christ. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And what happens here is that God takes his son as our substitute and gives him the punishment that we are due. Now, lots of people instantly want to say, well, we're not due any punishment. But actually, we are. That's where Christianity is not bland at all. In Genesis 4, verse 13, Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Leviticus 5, 17, if a person sins and dies, uh, sorry, if a person sins and does what is forbidden in any of the Lord's commands, even though he does not know it, he is guilty and he's held responsible. We are responsible for the things that we do that are wrong. Other people are responsible for the wrong things that they do to us, for encouraging us or lots. But we are responsible for the things that we do that are wrong. And what happens here is that all these things that we have done, all the, the badness and the rottenness that is within us, and I'm not going to go into to detail about that, but it's there. We're being told that this child was born... So that eventually he would carry all that. All that would be placed on him. All that would be taken from us and all of it would be placed upon him.
Jesus, the birth of Jesus is not just a cute story of a child being born in a manger. And it's not just a story of how God is with the poor. And it's not just a story of, of um, how we're all fragile and we need God to look after us and so on. This is a child that is being born for a purpose. And that purpose is to die. And that purpose is to die the most horrendous death. And that's why in the Gospels, you get the vast majority of the Gospels are taken up with the moments before and after, during and after the death of Jesus Christ. And that's why at Christmas as well, this is very appropriate for us to look at this. Because this wonderful baby that was born is being born to what? The baby has been born in order to die, in order to die as our substitute and to take our place and to carry our sin. The guilt that belonged to us causes God to strike him. We are no longer without a shepherd, for the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Turn to John's Gospel, chapter 10, and you'll see, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, though you, you could do, but let's just read from verse 11. You'll see just how great this is. This is what Jesus says. I will read from verse 7. John chapter 10, verse 7. Therefore Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. We are, and the world is, in a confused and messed up state. Because human beings are confused and messed up. Because human beings wander away from God. Because human beings are like just lost sheep. And what we needed was a shepherd. But not just a shepherd who is going to, to guide us. But we ourselves needed to become his sheep and we needed to be forgiven and we needed to be healed and, and we need renewal. We need a new heart. We need new life. And how does that come when we are guilty before a holy God? It only comes through the shepherd himself laying down his life for the sheep. And you've got this great mixture in the New Testament of Jesus being described as the lamb. And the shepherd. How do those two things go together? It's because it's just, I mean, it's just absolutely wonderful that, that Christ says, I'm going to be your lamb, your sacrifice, but I'm also going to be your shepherd. And within those two pictures, everything that we possibly need is uh, contained. Now, that's why we should celebrate Christmas, and that's why we should be immensely thankful for what the Lord has done sometimes i read uh, 
all the kind of great arguments that people have for God or against God or whatever, and you think of all the different things. But more and more, everything just keeps coming to me back down distilled to this. There was a child born in Palestine 2,000 years ago. And his life for 33 years and his death and his resurrection are the absolute center of everything for us now today as well. Now, there's another aspect of this, and I want to to spend a little time explaining uh, what that is. I want to ask, okay, let's suppose that that were true. How is that communicated to us? How do we grasp that? How do we receive Jesus Christ? You know, the carol says, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. How do we receive Christ? Well, he is communicated to us through his word, through his people, through his church, through um, when we have communion, as we will next Sunday evening. And I want us to think about that just a little bit. What, what does it mean? You know, how, how does this move from the page of a book? How does this move from just being a general religious story, whether we accept it as true or not? How does it, how does it, well, even if we believe it is true, how does it become real and personal for us? You know, it's, a, it's kind of like, again, all the announcements of babies. If you're a complete visitor here, um, we say, Brian and Louise have a baby. You go, uh-huh, that's nice. Well, Louise is pregnant, so you just nod and say, well, that's another child. I'm sure people are happy about that. But those of you who know Brian and Louise, you know, big grins on your faces because it's, it means something. Uh, even bigger grin if you were Brian or if you were Louise once she gets over the sickness. Because you, you, it, it, it really means something to you. This is not just a child that's being born. It's your child. And it's the same. How do you grasp this in terms of Jesus. This is not just a story about a baby being born. It's about the most important person in the world to you. How, how does that become real for you? Well, let me ask that question another way. Why do we come to church? I'd love to say that we come to serve, which is true. I hope we come to serve, not just to receive. Often you'll hear that being said. We come to give. I hope that's true. But as I said at the beginning, we are exhausted and we can't get the balance right. And what happens is, for many of us, is that Sunday just becomes another stress to add to our multiple stresses. It's strange, you know, sometimes you see Christians and they go away on holiday. And you can say, well, I didn't go to church when I was away on holiday because I just wanted a break. And I'm thinking, you've got the wrong idea of what church is. I even remember interviewing or meeting somebody who was across here studying from the States, someone who's trained to be a minister, and said, well, I think God is telling me to stay away from church for the year so I can relax. And I'm going, what? How, how, how does that fit? Something's wrong in that. And so many of us, it's just another stress. It's just another strain. It's just, oh, another meeting to go to. Or we have to go out tonight. Or no, it's just, you know, and sometimes we just can't be bothered. It's another pressure that's put upon us, another guilt. And we know that that's even, that's not the way it's supposed to be. And so that makes us feel guilty as well. So, I mean, instead of Jesus the Lamb, instead of 
Christ being the good shepherd, instead of us celebrating that, it's as though guilt upon guilt is just piled upon us and we think, if only I wasn't a Christian, then I wouldn't have all this guilt. Well, I want to suggest this to you. Strangely enough, if your attitude is, I come to give, I come to serve, it's actually wrong. And I'll tell you why. Because you can't serve and you can't give unless you've got something to serve with and something to give. We are in debt. You know, sometimes there are people who come and, and, then, and what they're doing in church and what they're doing in terms of their prayers and what they're doing in terms of Bible reading and what they're doing in terms of service is they're trying to make atonement for themselves. We have nothing to give. What do you think that you possibly have that you could give to God that would enrich the life of God? It just doesn't work like that. There's nothing to give. It's like, again, uh, the carol, what can I give him? Give him my heart. But what if your heart's rotten? What if you are left in the words of the hymn, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling? What if you really are running on empty? What if, you're, if you come and you say, Lord, I actually have nothing to give? It's like, you know, with the credit crunch and some people, you want to give presents and so on to people. But let's assume you're sensible and not following the government's advice and just getting into more debt, giving what you don't have. Let's just assume that you're there and you say, I've got nothing. I have nothing. And a strange kind of way, it, one of the most important things about worship is that we need to recognize we've got nothing to give and we need to receive first. Now some will say, of course, yeah, I come to church to receive, but what do you come to receive? Some people come to receive praise and self-affirmation. They want to be told how wonderful they are. Some come to get comfort. Oh, it's so comforting. It's so nice. And, and today, there'll be more people in church in Scotland than in any other uh, Sunday of the year, apart from the free church, uh, There'll be more people in church in Scotland and people, you know, you know, people, oh, wasn't that nice? And it probably wasn't nice. And even if it was nice, nice is not a word you find in the Bible, but they're just looking. People are coming. They want to get comfort. Life's tough. Life's really rough. Apparently, uh, there's an evangelical alliance and others. Loads of people are doing surveys saying because of the credit crunch, lots more people are going to go to church because they're looking for comfort. That's what they come to receive. Nice cozy feeling. Some people come for entertainment. Some people come for reassurance. Whatever. That's not what we mean by coming to receive. You may be coming to receive lots of different things. And you might not get them. You might get them. Whether you do or you don't actually doesn't make all that much difference. Because what we do is we come to receive Jesus Christ. Because I know that we say to the kids Christmas is about giving. Actually it's not. It is about receiving. It's about receiving the gift of God, Jesus Christ. And to me, that's where the rubber kind of hits the road for us. Because there's a model of church, which is kind of like a spiritual self-help therapy group. Hi, my name's Dave, and I want to share with you. Well, no. No, actually, what I want to share with you may be completely irrelevant now, I'm not, I shouldn't mock sharing and all the rest of it, but we've got this kind of idea that, well, church, we all, you know, we must have the priesthood of all believers, which we must, but we misunderstand that by saying, well, everyone's got something to give. 
And we're just kind of all meeting together and, and just sharing one another's experiences. But what if our experiences are rotten? And what if our lives are a mess? And what if we want to say, well, actually, I don't really want to share this because it's just going to hurt a lot of people. It's not, church is not a spiritual self-help therapy group. Now, there's another model, which is, I think, almost the opposite extreme of that, which is the clerical one, where you come to church, to the priest, for confession and for forgiveness. So you do some bad things, you come in, you tell the priest your sins, or the minister or whoever, and they say, ah, it's okay, you're all right, and forgive you, and that's it. That's a very religious model in that sense. But for me... What we see in Isaiah, what we see in the story of the cross, what we see in the whole Bible is what we gather to worship for. It's what church is about. It's it's Christ-centered. It's not me-centered. It's not clergy-centered. Now again, okay, those are words. How does that work? Jesus himself is head of the church. Jesus appoints under-shepherds, as the New Testament calls it, to teach and to communicate his word and to pastor and that is what I do. That's, I have the enormous privilege of being able to study God's word in, in depth every week in order to be able to communicate that. I'm not a substitute for Christ. I'm not a, um, a, a priest uh, giving absolution to people. I'm not like that at all. That's not the means. But my job and other jobs, other people as well who are involved in that shepherding is to seek to communicate and to give Jesus Christ. We're lost, we need to be found. Christ seeks us through his word. We're sinners, we need forgiveness. Christ offers us forgiveness and he forgives us through his word. We receive renewal, we receive forgiveness, we receive guidance, we receive protection, we receive purpose, we receive healing. And as we receive, it's then we respond. It's then we worship. It's then we serve. So, don't get it the wrong way around. Don't think, if I go and do this, 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 and this in the church or elsewhere, then Christ will come to me and Christ will bless me and so on. Because what you're really saying there is, I will earn the presence of Jesus Christ. I will earn the blessing of Jesus Christ. And you can't. And in actual fact, it is a very, very good thing. It's a very good attitude to come, especially when we come to to worship together and say, Lord, I am just so hungry. I am so thirsty. I am so wounded. I am so broken. I am so exhausted. I am so empty. Heal me. Restore me. Fill me. Renew me. And that only happens as, as we receive Christ. Now that carol has it right. Where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Anyone who comes thinking, I can give, I can do this, I can... The dear Christ does not enter in. But here's the absolute paradox. When you realize just how empty you are, when you realize just how broken you are, when you realize that there is no quick fix or even a long fix... When you realize that you've got nothing, it's at that point that you are much more likely to receive Jesus Christ. And you see, we keep forgetting that in the church. Because what I do and what other people do as well is we think, well, this person needs this and this person needs that and that person needs this. And we need to make 
sure that everyone gets what they're looking for. Again, it's like ministers or vicars or priests acting like Santa Claus for everybody parceling up individual presents for, you know, gifts that are suitable for everyone. But actually, that takes away from the supreme gift. Because all that we can offer you, and I say this to those of you who are not Christians, and I say this to those of you who are visitors, and I say this to those of you who are confused, and I say this to those of you who are not sure what you believe, and I say this to those of us who are Christians who are frustrated and angry and hurt and wounded and proud and whatever else, that all really we have to offer is Jesus Christ. But that's wonderful. See, that's just, that's just great stuff. That's what the shepherds needed to hear. That's what Mary needed to hear. That's what the people of Israel, the people of Palestine needed to hear and the people of the world needed to hear. And that's exactly what we need to hear here. That's what our friends and family need to hear. That's what the city needs to hear. I think that uh, as we celebrate Christmas and as we enter into a, uh, another year, God willing, that maybe we need to rethink just a little bit in terms of our attitude, which says, Lord, as, as, as Owen was praying from um, Revelation, Laodiceans, we, we are not rich and we have need of lots of stuff. But our greatest need is simply the need for Jesus Christ. And you see, then what happens is this. When you receive Jesus Christ, you cannot but live that out. You know, you don't. To, to somebody who receives Jesus Christ, to somebody who's being fed Jesus Christ, you don't then have to go to that person and say, pray or you'll really suffer. Because they want to pray. And I would argue this. I would argue that if, if somebody hasn't got a desire to pray, I'm, I'm, I'm arguing that you're not receiving Jesus Christ. There's a blockage in your own life, or perhaps the diet's awful. And that's incidentally, by the way, why, why you should pray for those who are preaching. Because the temptation in preaching all the time is to try and meet everyone's different needs. And that you just can't do that. The temptation actually is to become bland. And that's so easily done. When everything is beige, including the preaching in the church, it's just such a dull life. But if God's spirit is at work and God's word is being proclaimed, then it's, it's not easy, but it's thrilling and it's wonderful. And it's not as though, you see, again, we've still got this mentality. And it's not a mentality of grace. It really is a mentality of works. If I do this, if we do this, then this will happen. But we don't realize that the message of Christmas is love came down at Christmas. Love in the sense of Jesus Christ, in the sense of God is love, came down at Christmas. And love is here. What did the shepherds do to... to to receive this tremendous gift. Do you ever think they walked away and, and said, hey, we really deserve this. Look how, what special people we are. I don't think they thought that at all. I think that this is incredible. They, what did they rejoice at? We're told in Luke chapter 2 that they rejoiced at what they had seen, at what they had heard. There's not a focus on themselves. 
They didn't walk around saying, oh, God appeared to us, we're special people. That's just not the attitude. The attitude is, Jesus came. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. And if we receive, then I, I would say that everything else kind of flows from that. All the service that we give, it comes from grateful hearts. All the sacrifices that we make, they're not sacrifices at all. Because they're based upon what Jesus has done. So we're just serving him. Now, in, in me, you may think, oh, why is he kind of laboring this point? And uh, The reason I'm laboring it is because I think naturally and humanly speaking, our default mode, and we keep going back to our default mode, is to want to be able to give something in order to get something. Our default mold is to buy. Our default mold is there ain't such a thing as a free lunch, even with God. And it is really hard for us to grasp that God forgives, that God gives without us doing something to get it in return. And that really is the message of Christmas. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all turned to our own way. But God laid on him the iniquity of us all. And when you see the child that's born in the manger, what you see is your redemption. What you see is your salvation. What you see is your life. What you see is light and life and eternity. And if you see that, everything else comes from that. Let's pray.